This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10 off T E N O F F for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. What's up, friends? Hope everything's going well for everyone. This episode is a crossover episode. Anyone who's been listening to this show for any amount of time knows that we've got people that we believe in, that we try to support. Of course, I'm talking about Into the Necrosphere and the Horror Wolf podcast. On this episode, welcome Brandon Legion, my brother, host of the Horror Wolf 666 podcast. This episode is dedicated to our top David Lynch films, a director and filmmaker that we have both admired and has had a huge impact on us. Also, I just wanted to bring up the Patreon. If you want to further support the podcast, you can join for as little as $1 a month, and that gives you access to bonus content. If you want to join up at $5 a month, that gives you access to bonus content as well as advanced access of all of the episodes. If you want to do a sponsorship, you can promote your business, band, project, whatever for $25 a month. I give you a custom ad read and we're all happy. And of course, all these things are subject to change. You can join for as little as a month. You can cancel. You can rejoin. You can not join. Whatever you guys want. So how's things going, man? Everything all right? Uh, yeah, everything's going pretty good. Um, I ended up watching uh, The Last Drive-In last night, the final episode of the season. And uh, it's kind of depressing because the season's already fucking over. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But um, they went off with a bang, man. They did uh, Uncle Sam. Which is not a, a good film at all, but it's a fun film and it's like a perfect film for Joe Bob, you know, to do his critiques and stuff on. So that was cool. And then they ended it last night with fucking Nightbreed, the director's cut, which is one of my favorite films of all time. So, yeah, I watched that as well, man. Like I, I always watch it live when uh, when I'm able to. Um, I missed, you know, the four episodes or that when I was out on tour, and I'm go, I'm watching those now too. But. Uh, yeah, dude, I, I, you know, you never know what the, um, the second, you know, any of the movies are. So I was kind of, you know, I was like, yeah, man, you know, Uncle Sam, the movie kind of sucks, you know, whatever. But it was cool. It, it was worth listening to his critiques and, you know, interludes, which made mm-hmm. it interesting. And then when I saw that he was doing the director's cut of Nightbreed, I was like, hell yeah. That was, that was a strong way to end the season for sure. Yeah, oh, most definitely. Um, for most of Uncle Sam being that such a like, you know, kind of cheesy ass movie, but you know, fun. But um, I do a live uh, Twitter tweets when um Friday comes around. Like, there's like you hashtag last drive in on there, and everybody's like connected like a giant group. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like a big mystery science theater type thing. We're all making fun of the fucking movie and stuff, and uh, even uh, Darcy's on there, like. Oh, wow. uh, uh, yeah, a bunch of people, a bunch of the staffs on there from the last drive-in, like shit. Felissa uh, Rose is on there a lot. Uh, it's a lot of people, like celebrity-wise and stuff, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And we were really like getting on that movie last night because that kid that was in there, like the main actor kid, he was so fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty bad for sure, man. 
you know. But uh, yeah, dude, I I always get bombed when the last uh, episode uh, shows up. But you know, they'll be back. You know, I just I saw I read that they were confirmed for another season, which is great. You know. Yeah, thankfully, uh, season five is confirmed. So, and um, I'm I hope which they usually do every year, anyways. But I hope they do some uh, specials, like maybe a Halloween special or another Thanksgiving special. You know. You can always count on those for sure. You know. I think uh, my favorite last driving episode, well, marathon was the uh, Thanksgiving one they did. Uh, I think in like season one, or it might have been before they actually started doing the seasons. You know, when he first started coming back, it was uh, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was like eight movies in a row or something like that. It oh, was yeah. so fucking good. <clears throat> yeah, I remember that one. That was awesome. Like, it's funny. I um during the pandemic, man, that was like. A lifeline man you know i mean i was a huge fan before that but when when we were all locked down and nothing was going on like those friday nights were like totally something to look forward to which kind of kept me going during all that yeah I, I totally agree with that it was super special during those crazy ass times and also for me i'm really i, I don't like dealing with people in person too much i have a, a social anxiety pretty bad and i just i don't like being around big groups unless i'm playing a show or you know i'm out working or doing something you know so like having that connection even as via like social media when you know that show does come on with other people i think that's really cool and helps me out a bunch you know yeah totally uh i think last was it last week they had uh the habit which is a movie i know that you and i have talked about as um you know, like when they did the, the L.A. versus New York independent film, like, theme on the show? Yeah, dude, The Habit's so fucking good. Um, I went back and re-rated it. I had it, like, at an 8 out of 10. Now it's, like, a 9 out of 10 after the rewatch with Joe Bob. It's so fucking good. It just, yeah, it, I forgot. I mean, I love that movie, but I forgot how much I loved it until I watched it again. And, and also, you know, they had, uh, Larry, you know, Larry Fessenden was on as a guest and having his, you know, discussion of how the, no one was paid up front when they made it. And just like the whole, like, DIY, like, kind of punk rock vibe that that dude has, you know, it was really, really cool. Yeah, and I love the way it looks, too. Like, old school, old school New York, you know, dirty, fucking... As he was saying in there, pretty violent at that time, you know, so. And there's also just these little details, like going to a, a party in someone's apartment. And, uh, you know, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning and this dude's like playing guitar and stuff, you know what I mean, through an amp. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, just like little weird things. And when he goes to the deli and he's like, the guy stole stole my money right out of my pocket. It's like, you know, give me two, two coffees and I'll pay you tomorrow. You know, just stuff like that was like so like very much like right on the money with things, you know. Yeah, totally. I've been to New York a few times and um they they haven't they don't look nothing like it used to look, that's for sure. You know, it's uh it's cleaned up a bunch, but uh I, I like the way like uh the old school New York looks, especially film wise. It looks grimy and fucking dangerous. Well, not for nothing. Uh <laughs> New York is uh there there it has its moments, man, these days. Uh, you know, even before like the pandemic, I I worked in I work in mid well, I guess I don't work in Midtown anymore, but um I worked in Midtown for years and I remember uh those beginning late 20, 2019, 2020 thinking about how things are changing and getting worse and there's like, you know, it feels dangerous again and not not like I'm romanticizing danger, but yeah, I'm like, wow, this this feels like the late '80s, you know, or the or the '90s now with this this onslaught of of people with like mental illness living on the streets in Midtown, and um, 
you know, now after all the stuff that we've been through, there is like a very sketchy vibe in the city these days. But it's like that plus all of the gentrification. It's like it's a weird atmosphere right now in, in New York. Hmm. Uh, I think that I, and the most the sketchiest place I've been in a while, I guess, comparing to New York would be uh, Louisiana. What was it last year? It was in New Orleans down by the uh, French Quarter. Yeah. Uh, that place is interesting, man. Like there's a lot of. A lot of, there's a big homeless problem down there, and they all kind of like uh, migrate down into like the center square. I can't remember what the hell you call it, but they're all down in this like middle area and stuff by by a park. And there, it's it's nuts, man. Like uh, people trying to grab you and stuff. <laughs> Between, I, I think uh, I'd rather deal with that over the uh, the sports fans that are super drunk down there and fucking doing stupid shit. I cannot stand all that crap. So oh, that yeah. was kind of like hell for a little bit for me. That's not a, not a place for a person like me to be. So what, what really took a big hit, uh, was, was the West coast, man. I mean, I, you know, I, I hadn't been on the West coast since, you know, the last time we toured over there before the pandemic. And, um, you know, just last month we were over there, LA, San Francisco, um, Portland, especially, and Seattle were just like, it was almost some like Mad Max shit. You know what I mean? It was just like, like these weird roving groups of homeless people, you know, in Portland particularly, man. Like I, you know, I, I know it's like very, uh, you know, easy to beat up on Portland, you know, but (laughs) I've never really been a big fan of the Northwest anyway, really, you know, but not 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 for any particular reason. It's just not my kind of cities, Portland and, and Seattle. You know, the, the states themselves are beautiful, like the, the wilderness and, you know, the Puget Sound in, in Washington State's beautiful and, like, you know, just the natural beauty of those regions are great. But the cities, not really my thing. You know what I mean? Right. But this time we played at this place called Dante's, which I think is on – in, in this area that it's known for being just kind of like a rundown part of town. And it was just like, I really didn't feel safe. I have to be honest, man. Like I, I felt like someone was going to break into the van at any minute. I felt like people were going to like attack me at some point. And I saw some guy get beat up on the street. You know what I mean? And it was like, I'm like, man, like, we got to get the hell out of here, man. This is like a, a bad scene, you know? And uh, L.A. was is like all the things that people have been telling me, man. It's like, yeah, when you go, you know, people, you always hear these stories about from especially people from New York about Los Angeles. And most of those people haven't even ever been there before. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, people are like, you know, camping in the streets and, you know, it, it's this like, uh, you know, cesspool of humanity. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Right. <laughs> For the most part, that's true, man. I, I hate to say it, but it's like. Man, there were just like people camped out on the sidewalk, and like you go into a Starbucks, and there's like some dudes in the toilet for like you know an hour, and it's just it's just it's just not good, you know what I mean? And um, not not to get on, you know, not to sound like I agree with any of these right wing assholes, but yeah, something definitely has to be done in in the on the West Coast, in California in particular. Yeah, that's definitely a a serious problem for sure, you know. Well. Thanks for coming on the show, man. It's um really cool that we 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 have this little cartel of podcasts, which uh, we you know we've all been talking about it. It's like basically uh, you know us being everything went black and horror wolf six six six. We got our brother Jackie at into the necrosphere, and also my other podcast, Necromaniacs. 
And the coolest thing about it is that Necro and, and Horror Wolf are both horror podcasts, yet we can exist together because their shows are a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like Necro is more about, uh, you know, cr- critical analysis of films, specific films, you know, and, you're, and, and Horror Wolf is, is more about just interviews, which is like a totally different trip. And it <laughs> allows both of us to not interfere with each other's things and really support each other. I think that's awesome. Yeah, dude, I think it's fucking really sweet, man. I like our uh, our uh, brotherhood of the uh, podcast. Uh, what, is, what are we calling ourselves? The podcast. Horseman of the podcast. Yeah, there, the you there you go. It's a bit <laughs> of a tongue twister. But yeah, I think it's fucking badass, man. Like, uh, I love all our podcasts that we do. And I, I just like the, you know, the community that we're building and stuff. I just think it's cool helping each other out and stuff. And it pretty much provides entertainment every day of the week you know which is kind of cool you know yeah i'm set with all y'all's podcasts i'm good to go i just throw in like an audiobook in between there like i'll be doing an audiobook then it's y'all's podcast and i'm good for the week i'm set and it's all like good positive things you know hell yeah so what we end up doing a lot is we end up doing these like lists of like favorite stuff and uh this particular uh episode we're going to be doing uh lynch films and um which is interesting because David Lynch is, um, you, you can put him within the horror genre, yet he's not a strict horror film filmmaker, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what are your thoughts on that? Like, how, how, do, you, how do you classify David Lynch? Well, I, I definitely put him in the horror genre. Um, okay. I, I think what he does is more like uh, kind of like nightmare stuff. It's like the shit I dream about, you know, some of my nightmares. It's more like dreamy type horror, you know. It's not your classical like monsters or, you know, slashers or nothing really like that. It's just something different. It's more like I would classify as like, you know, nightmare horror, you know. This is shit I fucking fear the most. Yeah, I, I haven't really put a lot of thought into that. I just it just dawned on me. I was like, yeah, you know, I... You know, they don't really talk about him that much in horror circles, really. You know, like, he's not like a John Carpenter or, you know, or a Ty West or something like that. You know, he gets referenced a lot when people are discussing other films. Like, they'll point out that this particular piece has influences from, like, Twin Peaks or, you know, Racerhead or something like that. But I've never actually pondered how he fits into the whole trip, you know, but... Pretty much all of his movies, with maybe a couple of exceptions, and I'm going to point those out on our list here, have horror, very distinct horror elements to it, you know, but not all of them, you know, which is interesting. Right. Yeah, he's something totally different, I think. I mean, there's nobody else like David Lynch. I mean, there could be some people trying to be like David Lynch, but um, yeah, he's his own thing. And, you know, I just find his stuff like it really gets down deep inside of, you know, like gets underneath underneath your skin shit you don't forget you know that's that's horrific to me so yeah okay so um we got our list yes top six yeah top six yeah i'm imagining that we're probably going to have a lot of you know overlaps of films oh yeah most definitely (laughs) so so you're you know being the guest why don't you kick it off with number six all right. 
Yeah, we're definitely going to have some overlaps, but I, I, I'm curious to see where we play season or, you know, top six. So, And we put this this together as as like an in, in order. Like this is not like, okay, these are six great movies. These are what we consider to be his top six um, best films in the, you know, in this sort of uh, discussion that we're having. Yeah. And um, also I cheated a little bit. There's one in there that's a TV series, but you, everybody should know what the hell I'm talking about there. So, so I did cheat with that. So I consider that like, you spoiler, know, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler yeah. alert. I won't tell you where it's at. Oh, hey. All right. All right. So my number six is a 1986 Blue Velvet. And, um, you know, for some reason, I thought this was a fucking 90s film in my head. The way it looks and all, it's like going back and seeing that was like made back in 1986 is kind of mind blowing. It feels 90s to me for some reason. Oh, it's way ahead but, of um, its time, man. Definitely. It is. And um, the thing about this film that really got me, you know, it was, it's also super dark. I call this a horror movie. You can call it a thriller, kind of like a drama or whatever, but it's definitely got some horror elements going on. It's super dark. And Dennis Hopper's character is fucking unforgettable. Terrifying, actually. <laughs> I got a personal story about um, Blue Velvet, which I, I've told this before in different places and uh, made references to it. But I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell it real quick again. Uh, when I went to college at Boston University, uh, my freshman year, I remember I showed up, and um, there's no campus there. You're just kind of like in the city, and there's all these buildings, and there's a, a particular movie theater called the Nickelodeon Theater. And they have classes during the day. Like I had calculus there. I had a physics class in, in, that, in the theater. Like It's funny, right? You know, there's like a movie theater. Right. So, and then at some point in the evening, like around 6 o'clock, I guess, it becomes a theater open to the public and you can watch movies there. And, you know, during the day, I was like, this is weird. You know, I'm not, you know, never seen anything like this before. You know, I mean, I'm 18 years old. So what, I haven't seen anything really. You know, there's movie posters. I noticed there was like a, you know, ticket place, you know, popcorn, that kind of stuff. And it's like, am I in the right place? This is where I have uh, calculus, you know? So (laughs) they were showing Blue Velvet there. And uh, so I'm like, oh, this looks cool. You know, I heard about this movie, you know, it's kind of like this small town kind of thing, you know, like crime, like stuff I'm into. And I remember right around that time, I was like trying to hang out with this girl and, um, (laughs) And I was like, let's go to the movies. So um, <laughs> she's like, okay, where, where do you, what do you want to see? Oh, there's this movie Blue Velvet playing at the Nickelodeon. And I'm thinking, yeah, we just walked down. You know, we're both living in the dorms at this time. So, yeah, we just meet up, walk down, check out the movie, you know, whatever. So we, uh, we go into the movie theater and we sit down. It's pretty full. And... Uh, that first scene with Isabella Rossellini and Dennis Hopper, and uh, she just was like, she tapped out after that. She's like, I, I, I don't want to watch the rest of this movie. So we, we left, right? So that was my first attempt to go in to see Red Velvet. Now, this is the precedent that followed me pretty much through the rest of my life, I think. It was like, I ended up just going by myself and just watching it alone and really able to absorb it, you know? Because there was, even though I was horrified by the movie at first, because I'd never seen anything like that, I was like, you know what, man? There's something about this that just digs inside of me, and just I, I want to know what the rest of the film was like. So I went, got a ticket, you know, and checked it out, and been a f- huge fan ever since. So like, I guess 
I guess uh, Blue Velvet is my entry point into David David Lynch's work. It's a great entry point for sure. Like uh, it's everything good about David Lynch and you know one fucking film. Like it's it's dark. It's a uh, it's just so it's so weird, just like all his other work. It's just super weird and cerebral, you know. So good. Great characters in that, you know. You got uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Dean Stockwell's in that. Um, you know, of course, Isabel Rossellini, uh, Laura Dern, uh, Kyle, the great Kyle McLaughlin, you know. And also Dean Stockwell from uh, from uh, from his uh, Scott, Scott Bakula show back in the day. Uh, what was the hell? A Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, man. That <laughs> I was awesome. I love Quantum Leap, man. And seeing him in something besides like Quantum Leap or, you know, playing more of a, a serious, creepy-ass role, I think, in this one. So it was it was cool seeing that. Great cast. So like you said, like the cast is stacked. I mean, it's all like A-listers, awesome actors and actresses and stuff. So. Another thing about that movie too, which which maybe is because the age that I was at when I saw it, and like the background I have, because I I come from a small town and I wasn't grown in, I I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in like a town called Carmel, which mm-hmm. is like an hour north of uh, New York City, and uh-huh. um, you know, it was like it had a you know like a greater metropolitan area vibe, but it was definitely a small town, and it wasn't dangerous per se. You know, there was no real crime, but there were things on the fringes of that life <clears throat> that, uh, you know, it seemed like um, every now and then you would see something in the periphery or you'd read about something in the news that happened in the town and you'd, you'd be like, hmm, I wonder if there's like this underbelly to this Id- idyllic sort of existence out here. And I guess like Blue Velvet really wa- awoke, you know, awakened that sensibility that I have about small towns and they're just always being some creepy shit going on there and it's most of the time true man like uh we got this uh, south carolina or whatever we gotta it it may look all like oh move to south carolina it's bright and sunny people are nice down here but um there's some dark shit going underneath here i mean let's look on the news like a lot of shit you see like serial killer wise or like fucking there's this uh one dude that like killed his whole family I think for like the insurance or some kind of shit, it was some kind of crazy thing going on. It's in the court cases right now, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But a lot of weird shit goes on down here in South Carolina. Like it's got a really dark underbelly. I don't think people know about. Yeah, another thing that this film like maybe reexamined too is like in my in my hometown. You know, there was like I said, it's nice. It's like middle class, no real issues or anything. You know, mostly you know a big Italian American and Irish population there. Um, you know, the, um, you know, banks, you know, shopping centers, things like that. But there was this one place that was like one of these, um, hotel, uh, you can rent by like the week or something like that. Like one of these like weekly hotel, you know, spots. And and I was like, we would, I would be with my parents or my mom or something driving to the grocery store and I'd drive by it with her and I would be looking at it thinking like, huh, that's not like. You know, it's not like a Motel 6 or like a, you know, a Red Roof Inn or something like that. It's like just some random, like, Starlight Hotel, you know. And there would just be people living there, you know, like these, like, drifter types. And that, after watching Blue Velvet, I kind of reexamined that fringe, you know, population that was living in my town. I'm like, man, I wonder what kind of shit these guys got into, you know. 
Yeah, we got some places like that around here too. Like uh, people just live in these hotels or whatever, and it's it's odd. And usually the people that live there, you know, stranger than usual. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So so my number six was uh, 1977's Eraserhead, and um, nice. I actually saw this after watching Blue Velvet. You know, because I mean, <clears throat> that movie was like super fringe. Like no one really saw this movie unless it was like on a VHS tape really. And uh, I do remember being in high school, I was playing in a band and we were, uh, you know, kind of like we weren't even, we weren't good enough to play metal. So we were playing punk style music, you know what I mean? So, but we were playing this show in Poughkeepsie with all the Poughkeepsie, New York with these metal bands. And um, this one dude, I can't remember the name of the band, but I remember they had a song called Dagger Through Your Heart. And I thought that was really cool when the singer announced the song. He's like, this next song is called Dagger Through Your Heart. <laughs> and uh, that sticks out in my head for some reason. And the guitar player had like a blazer on and underneath the blazer he had an Eraserhead t-shirt. And that was my first awareness of the movie. And I was just like, Eraserhead, like, what the fuck is that? So the bass player in the band, he was like, you know, more more hip to like film and artsy stuff because he ended up going to um, art school after high school. So he was like more in that in that world than I was necessarily of like interesting films and books and all this stuff. Big influence on me, by the way. And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, yeah, it's a movie. Uh, you should check it out, man. It's crazy. We should watch it one night, you know, and, and I, we never did. But after seeing Blue Velvet. I did some reading on it, and probably in her film review, they mentioned Eraserhead. And that's where I'm, you know, I'm in Boston at this point. There's all these places you can rent videos and whatnot and rent a VHS player and watch it and that kind of thing. So I, that's how I saw Blue Velvet, and I was just like completely... I didn't even think that films could be made like this. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, you know, I'm, I'm only 18 at this time, you know, and, and I'm, I thought, I thought I was pretty cool. You know, I have a black flag record, you know, I, you know, I, you know I, I've been to New York city, you know, I've seen all these things and like, but this completely blew my mind and rearranged it into a, a way to access, access information that was being put out in this movie. And, uh, Totally changed the way I see things, you know, and it's very, very intense film. Yeah, super intense. Uh, I remember the first time watching this one. I, I was late to the game on watching this. I think I saw I was in my like late teens, maybe early twenties for the first time, and I was like, "Oh, Razorhead!" I've been seeing shit about Razorhead for years now. I never watched it. Never watched it. So finally got sat down and checked it out and stuff. I was like, "Oh man!" It was almost a uh, painful in parts you know it's just like such an overload sensory overload and it's uh, hard to explain you know it's, it's more of an experience an actual like film and um, it's one you never forget that's for sure yeah and the black and white and it just feels like you're peeking into a completely different universe you know and uh what comes to mind is like when i was in high school like you know i read like franz kafka and like all this stuff and it reminded me of that kind of weird reality that Kafka's books take place in and I I don't know if that's on point or not but that's my my take on it you know yeah no I think you definitely uh nail it with that take for sure 
Um, also, another thing about Eraserhead, which it didn't make my list. I'm going to tell you that now. It didn't make my list. Okay. It was close with Blue Velvet. Like it was like between those two, and I, you know, I chose Blue Velvet. But um, you know, with the Eraserhead, like um, it has that industrial feel to it as well. Yep. Like it, you know, super industrial feeling. Like it, it captures that time pretty well too when it came out. I think you know, it just it's a hell of a movie. Also, very uh, nightmarish. Like everything about that film is very nightmarish. It's like, where the hell did he get this shit from? Probably his dreams, you know? Yeah, there's some deep, deep subconscious stuff going on in all of his films, I think. Yeah, no doubt. That's for sure. All right. So uh, we're going to get down to my number number five. All right. This should be a, a pretty good one for most people here. They've probably seen it. You know, it's a. Uh, one of his more popular titles, but it was a uh, 1992's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. That's and, an outstanding um, film. Yes. Oh, so good. Um, and you know, this is what uh, kind of got me to get back on my uh, Twin Peaks TV series journey. It's from you know the actual movie itself. Um, and the movie's <laughs> super dark. I fucking I love the music, the soundtrack. Uh, this one of the films that got me on like synth type music, you know, something different than metal, you know, more synthy, but, uh, you know, like the, the opening fucking title, tr the title track is fucking haunting, you know, stays with you forever and stuff. And, uh, yeah, Cheryl Lee, I mean, I still have a crush on her <laughs> forever. Oh, like she's, oh my God, the, the whole cast, Ray Wise, um, they're all just great. And this is, you know, it's a different take from the TV series as well, too. So if you've seen this and you watched, you know, first two seasons at least, like it's it's a totally different take on that, but it's still the same, you know. But I, I really love the actual movie Firewalk with me. So that that did not make my top six, but <clears throat> you know, it was hard coming up with the top six just because I loved so much of his work. You know, I like all of his things. I, everything I've ever seen by David Lynch, I love. You know, and. This one didn't make my, my top six, but I have deep appreciation for that movie, for sure. Yeah, and um, also with this one, too, there's a pretty cool, pretty fast uh, cameo with David Bowie. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. that's fucking cool shit, man. That's like one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. I mean, you know I'm a huge Bowie fan anyway, but that's uh, when he pops in and pops out. And it's like, was he actually ever really here? You know, that was so great, man. Again, going back to like the whole dream logic type stuff there, that's totally like dream stuff. Like you can, like with me, I'd be dreaming one thing like, oh, I'm hanging out with this person in a dream. I turn around and look at him, a totally different person. You know, it's total fucking dream stuff. And I love that, you know, really makes you think and uh, kind of just takes you away, you know, like maybe to a, another dimension or, you know, something weird where all this shit takes place. As It's so like fucking so good, you know, and uh they list this one as a as horror actually on um internet movie database so this is like the first one i've come in contact with on app that actually says horror on the top so that's another interesting little fact about that but yeah definitely yeah. uh we got also got chris isaac in there too um oh yeah i forgot about that yeah yeah playing the fbi agent uh, i forgot his name but uh that dude <laughs> I think he was, uh, he kind of disappeared in there too. He like appeared and kind of disappeared and turned into somebody else, if I'm not mistaken. That's a big theme uh, that carries on is like people becoming other people and transitioning between realities and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I, I love that aspect of, you know, what David Lynch does with that with uh, Twin Peaks. Super strange. And, um, yeah, this is just one of my favorites. I love it. I, I watch at least once a year. So, uh, yeah, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me is a, is a great one. Also, you know, also you and I are both musicians and, like, titles and words. Like, I, I just love the way that sounds, Firewalk with me. What the fuck does it mean, though? That's the thing, man. It's like there's so many different ways you can dig into that title. And um, it's almost like this, like a, a song lyric or something. I love it. Another thing that's kind of on topic, but more with the, the music side, is uh, the band you got me into, um, Bambara. Mm, they, mm-hmm. To me, like Twin Peaks and Bambara, like especially this film here, are, they, they go together so fucking well. <laughs> it's like they could play in this universe. Well, yeah, man, I had Reed on, the singer, as as a guest, like a, over, well, probably a couple of years ago at this point. Doesn't seem like that long. And, and that, that dude is like, he's a young guy, but he's like an old soul, man. That, that guy is like so heavily into all this cool like literature and movies. And, you know, he, he's, he seems like, like Nick Cave or something like that when you speak with him, man. So for sure, they're, they would fit in the David Lynch world, man. Yeah, that was the interview that got me into this band. I was like, I got to check this out. And what y'all were talking about, they really like drew my interest and stuff. And I checked the band out, and I've been a fan ever since. I love everything they do. Yeah. So my number five, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, 1990s Wild at Heart. Nice. Yeah, that's on my list, too. Yeah, based uh, on the novel by Gary Gifford. And I've never read the book, uh, but I love the movie. And it's got a pretty uh, all-star cast, man. You got Nicolas Cage as uh, Sailor Ripley, which is a great name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the uh, beautiful Laura Dern as, uh, you know, Lula. Um, that's also the daughter. Her mom is, is in this film, too, Diane Ladd. So Diane uh-huh. Ladd is in the film. Uh-huh. She's the, uh, the, the daughter of Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern. You know, so I did not know that. Yeah, she's okay. like within the acting Hollywood world, hmm. the Willem, the sublime Willem Dafoe, always, always a treat when he's in a film. Man, that guy is like just always, never disappoints me when I see him in a movie. Oh yeah, agree, totally agree. We got Isabella Rossellini returns, uh, Diane Ladd, of course, who I mentioned, and Harry Dean Stanton, who's uh, he's also a recurring guy that shows up in a lot of Lynch's films, and uh, I, I always, I mean, he's he's been was around forever been in tons of films uh definitely has like this vibe when he's on screen harry dean stanton and uh he's got more of a central role in wild at heart you know mm-hmm. yeah he's a fine actor man I, I love all the stuff he's in as well so you said you have this on your list too yeah this one's gonna be under my uh number four. <laughs> oh wow okay so yeah let's just let's go there <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss it together then all right cool yeah, like everything, I, I agree with everything you say about um, Wild at Heart, man. And um, William Defoe's character is like, steals the show for me. But, you know, besides Nick Cage, I'm a huge Nick Cage fan. But, man, William's De- William Defoe's character is fucking pretty brutal, man. Bob, Bobby <laughs> Peru. Yeah. That's a yeah. great name, too, man. <laughs> He's like, Bobby Peru, like the country. <laughs> Such oh. a wild film, man. It's all over the place, you know. It's. 
it's hard to categorize what this is. I definitely see some horror elements in it. You know, the people say it's thriller crime, you know, the normal stuff. But again, with David Lynch, it's hard to like pinpoint just like what one genre that he's in, you know, he kind of does it all. But this one has some really dark shit going on with it. Once again, like a movie, <clears throat> this might've been one of the first films that I, I, I had such like, um, like an emotional uh, roller coaster with the film because there are, parts of it which are like super like romantic and road trip you know two young kids in love you know crazy crazy kids like driving across the country and then just like the darkest stuff ever that you see in a film like such a contrast you know and that became that becomes like a mainstay in a lot of his films you know yeah most definitely uh, yeah that's kind of like a trademark thing for him you know um, also with this film here, I don't know if you know, um, I guess it's probably connected more with the, uh, the books, which I've never read, but, um, uh, this film goes along with the, um, really, really killer film. Um, if you've never seen it before, uh, came out in 1997, uh, Perdita Durango. Oh yeah. You know, I haven't seen that. Oh dude. I, I think it's on Tubi. It was, um, uh, it's either Tubi or Amazon. Like it just, it pops up on there time to time. But it's but just as wild as wild at heart, and um, it ties in together. I think uh, I think with the actual the, the the character Perdita Durango, I think she um, this connection there, I guess, via the books or whatever. Huh. But um, dude, this one's wild as fuck, man. It's got a good cast. It's got a uh, Javier Bardem who's oh. playing like this uh, cult leader, uh, black magic dude, and there's a uh, yeah, there's some cannibalism in there, some uh, ritualistic stuff. It's, it's a great one. I think it was rated NC-17 when it first came out and stuff. Like, it, it's, a, it's a really good one. I highly recommend that one to tie in with, um, you know, Wild at Heart. Well, who made that movie? That, that uh, Perdita Durango? Yeah. Uh, oh, that was actually um, someone you know. It's, uh, well, we all probably know in the, like, horror movies. It's Alex Delia Inglesia. Inglesia. Oh, yeah. Okay. Alex Delia Inglesia. There you go. Why, yeah. did I, why haven't I seen this movie? It sounds great, I was fucking really cool, man. Like, uh, highly recommend checking that one out. And like I said, I think Tubi has it. Uh, let me double check here real quick. I, I just seen it streaming somewhere. Uh, well, right now it's on AMC Plus. So if you have AMC Plus, it's on there. Hmm. I'm going to look into this, man, for sure. I want to say Shudder had it at one time, too, because uh, there's some horror shit going on in this one. Like I say, it gets wild with the black magic stuff and all, man. Well, Javier Bardem is a great man. I love that guy. That guy's an incredible actor, man. He is, and uh, he plays a part in here you probably never seen him playing before, like super flamboyant, like not the not the regular like quiet kind of strong type. He's a uh, total opposite in this one. Really cool role for him, though. Right on, man. So, uh... all right, so that's your number four, right? Yeah, that was my number four. All right, so my number four, and this is the one film. That doesn't have any horror elements in it. It's the straight story from 1999. Okay, cool. A lot of people haven't even seen this movie. And I don't know. If I've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it, it's very small cast. It's got Harry Dean Stanton comes back. It's got uh, Sissy Spacex in it, and um, the main star of the film is this guy uh, Richard Farnsworth, who passed away uh, shortly mm -hmm. after the film was made. It's a very simple, it's rated G. It's G rated. Wow. It's about these two brothers. They've been estranged from each other. 
and the character played by Richard Farnsworth uh, travels on a on a lawnmower across the country to to mend the mend the fences you know between them and reestablish their relationship. And it's just like uh, it's a road movie, but it's on a lawnmower instead of like some sick like you know Mustang or something like that. You know. Yeah, that, that sounds wild. I, I don't think I've ever seen that one. I thought I saw all of Dave Lynch's stuff, so that's one I need to check out. You know if it's uh, streaming anywhere off the top of your head? or I'm not sure. Um, it's uh, probably, I mean, it's, um, you could probably rent it somewhere. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, like on Tubi or anything like that. I, I have like a VHS, like a dubbed VHS copy of it that um, back when uh, I, I used to, you know, I don't know, I'll say we were dating this uh, lady who was a uh, film editor um, that she worked in, well, actually she wasn't an editor. She was a, she wrote, she was a script writer and she was involved in film and making films. And she was like real knowledgeable about all this stuff. And she turned me on to this. And the copy that I have is a dub of what, of hers. And that's like, she turned me, she's like, Oh, you like David Lynch? You ever see the straight story? And I'm like, no. It's like, well, what the hell kind of fan are you if you haven't seen this movie? So, uh, so yeah, that's how I got turned on to the movie, and um, and I've, ever since then, it's been something that stuck with me as being one of some of his finest work, in my opinion. Nice. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna try to hunt that one down this weekend. I'm on a four day vacation, I guess you would say. So, man, yeah. try that nice. one. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely check it out. Like once again, I said, there's no violence, there's no creepy stuff, there's no it's just a, a straight-up movie. I guess the straight story. There you go. It's all in the title. Right, yeah. Well, he did that with Dune, too. So he's got, he's, he definitely can pull that off, I think, you know? Yeah. Master filmmaker, as demonstrated by the straight story. Killer. All right, cool. That is definitely on my top list to check out. All right, so I guess we're down to my number three. And um, this is going to be a – this is I almost ranked this one higher, but, you know, the other two are – this is a hard one to rank up there, but it's high on my list. It's uh, 2001's Mulholland Drive. Oh, yeah, man. That's that's on my list too, man. That's that, that that's a masterpiece, man. I, I, I heard that was supposed to actually be a uh, TV series. <laughs> oh, that would have been killer too. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, go on. Sorry, I mean, cut you off. Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's, I mean, back in those days, because that came out, like, what, like 2001 or something? That's Yeah, 2001. We, we weren't in this renaissance of shows where you, it's kind of like a free-for-all, like the Wild West with TV shows now where anything goes. So I imagine if this had become a television show, it would have either had to have been on, like, HBO. And even then, it wasn't even, HBO even wasn't, like, you know, there was the wire, not the wire. There was uh, maybe um, Oz was mm-hmm. on in the beginnings of The Sopranos. So that wasn't even like a gimme either. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe to try to put this on network television at that point would have been like incredible, man. Yeah, that that would be killer. And I think it would have worked on HBO. You know, I think it would have. It would have been, a, I think it would be a, a pretty, you know, it would have been a hit for sure. Like, you know, David Lynch fans would love that. I wish it would have turned into a TV series, but the film itself is, like I said, it's a masterpiece. Great cast once again. We got Justin Theroux. We got Naomi Watts, uh, Laura Elena Her- Herring, and the late Robert Forster's in that too. 
Yeah, I uh, love Robert Forrester, man. Like, it was sad when he died. It's always sad when all these celebrities you look up to or not really, you know, necessarily look up to, but, you know, from your childhood and stuff, they start passing and stuff. It's always sad. Well, didn't you have um, a guest that was in this film? Yeah, that's what I was about to um, tell you. Here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got the, um, the, the chance to talk with uh, Bonnie Aarons. Who um you might know plays the nun from the you know the Conjuring series and stuff, but she also played a part in here, a very small part, but a part that's never left my mind. <laughs> I think it's one of the scariest scenes in any film ever, um, and it's the scene when they're uh, sitting in the diner and they're talking about you know what if there's somebody you know that's out back you know is is standing there looking at you. I can feel like their eyes on me, you know, kind of shit like that. They're talking about like some kind of weird nightmare type shit and um she appears dressed as this like horrendous looking like bum but it doesn't look like a bum to me it looks more like some type of creature you know and she's only in the film for like maybe 10 seconds but the way it's done and way it was shot is just absolutely terrifying <laughs> that's like an iconic scene really in that film and the funny thing about it is that it has almost nothing to do i mean i actually i can't even connect it to the the actual story really it's just in there you know yeah, yeah, it has nothing to do with the main story. It's just something like, it's like, holy shit, and it's done. And, you know, you don't hear nothing else of it again. But she made an impact with that role. And um, she says she loved working with Dave Lynch, too, because I was, I got to talk to her a little bit about it and stuff and told her how much I thought it was killer that uh, she was in that film. And you scared the shit on me as a kid. <laughs> I was a teenager, actually. So, Yeah, that's and, one um, of my favorite uh, points of the film i mean it takes place in a diner which is like always been you know i love diners and uh the way that they describe the way that um he describes his dream where he's like it's in it's in the half light or you know half night or something like that like this kind of cool like reference to early evening or you know that kind of thing i i always love the dialogue in david lynch's films you know and and the guy is i guess it's like his therapist which is in and of itself, that's funny that he's meeting with his therapist at like a Denny's or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I'll tell you what, let's go out and check it out. You know, and and yeah, it's just so fucking intense, man. Yeah, I, I'll never forget that scene. Like, a lot of people are like that too. Um, I I tweeted something about it before, and like, you'd be surprised how many uh, people were traumatized from that scene, and still, you know, they still feel that trauma. <laughs> also, um. The guy who's the, uh, the you know, I want to use the politically correct term, <laughs> the, the little guy from Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what's his name? I just saw it. Um, Michael J. Anderson. Yes. He, he comes, he's in Mulholland Drive as some kind of uh, executive, uh, you know, behind the scenes dude. But he's, they're using forced perspective to make him like a, an actual sized person as opposed to a little person. Yeah, I remember that's super, super weird and trippy, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's also another great scene with, with these guys from New York come, these mobsters and the whole espresso scene and all that. It just like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kills me. He's like, I think you'll love this. It's just, oh, man, it's so good. Yeah, it's such an oddball movie, just like all those other films. It's, it's so memorable and like. Uh, yeah, it's a great film. I, I love it. And um, also going back to Bonnie Aarons or whatever, like uh, 
from the characters she plays, like the nun, all these like you know horror characters, she's like one of the nicest people I've ever talked to. Super fucking cool, and just her heads up there. If you ever get to like meet her at like a con or something like that, she is fucking awesome. Yeah, that that uh, interview was great, man. You know, it's it's uh, I love I love some of these people turn out to be way different than I thought they would be in person. That when you interview them, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a lot different. Like you, you go in thinking that there could be one way, it totally turned out to be somewhere, you know, another way, which is usually for the best, you know. Like uh, especially when I was talking with uh, Mick Garris and stuff. Now, you know, he was everything I thought he was gonna be, so he lived up to it. And, like it was fucking great, just really down to earth. And dude, that yeah. that is like such a high point, man. Uh, I love Mick Garris. I listen to his podcast every week, and. uh He's just one of these guys. He just he's like this wizard or something who's seen so much and has so much knowledge about the film industry and the horror film industry and you know specifically but in general just about making films. Sounds like a really really cool guy. Oh yeah, he totally is, man, and he's uh constantly sharing stuff. Like he's always promoting his stuff. He, he shares my stuff sometimes. Like he's always working and uh he is the true master of horror in my eyes, you know, like he's the top of the mountain like he's just and he's so fucking down to earth and so goddamn nice man it's, it's awesome man yeah he's he's out there you know and cons are cons are back and you know maybe someday i'll meet that guy and you know say i heard you on a uh, horror wolf 666 <laughs> oh that would be cool yeah yeah hopefully like oh yeah yeah horror wolf 666 you know like oh i don't know the hell that is <laughs> excuse <laughs> <know>? me security <laughs> yeah. remove this command <laughs> I get thrown out yeah. because I approach him and look him in the eyes or something like that. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, that's a thing, man. Get... That's a thing. Like apparently some, some Hollywood types and, you know, rock stars or whatever, they, you're not allowed to look them in the eye when you, when you are around them. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard horror stories about that. That's <laughs> crazy, right? Oh yeah, man. It's, it's, it's insane, insane, you know? Yeah. Hopefully I don't come in contact with one of those types, you know, doing the interviews, but so far, you know, um, everything's been really good with that. I haven't, you know, had to encounter anybody like, you know, in that kind of way. So that's good. Hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. <laughs> so my number three we already talked about, it's uh, 1986's Blue Velvet. And, uh, you know, I think I, I told my Blue Velvet story. Um, I'm not going to tell it again. It's <laughs> not in the same episode. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so we can move on to we're coming down to the wire now with our number twos. Yeah, number two, I guess it'd be uh, my turn here. And um, like I said earlier, I, I kind of cheated and had to throw in a TV show because this show, like, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. And that's uh, uh, 1990. I, the first two seasons are my favorite. I have I, the last season they did, you know, doesn't rank with these two. So I'm counting just the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Yep. Okay. Uh, it, I mean, I just, uh, I, I was kind of like raised around Twin Peaks. Um, I think my aunt and my grandma got me into this, you know, because, uh, what, 1990, I was probably like six or seven or so back then. But um, I just remember it came on a uh, regular television. We didn't have cable or nothing like that. We had antennas and like four stations. Well, this is uh, one of the shows that came on one of the four stations, man. And um, even back then, being as young as I was, it still made an impact on me. I was like, oh, this is so fucking cool. But um, as I've grown older, I've really come to like have a, a better appreciation of it. You know, it's so well done. Like um, the music, the the way it looks, the storyline, everything's just so fucking weird and trippy and stuff. I just love it. 
And like it, it, right. When I go back and watch it now, it's like transport me back into a different time, maybe a different place that's similar to this place, but not this place. You know what I mean? Like something else. It just takes me there. You know, I didn't watch it on TV either because, um, at, well, well, I should say I didn't watch it on TV. Um, you know, I, I was out, out of the house at that point and, uh, living on my own and there was uh, we didn't have TV. <laughs> we didn't have like uh, cable or we just had like a television that had like one channel and, um, really didn't watch a lot of television throughout the nineties. And, uh, so without the internet, it'd be really easy to miss things like that, to not even know that they existed, you know? So I, I didn't even really watch X-Files on television. I watched that. I started X-Files like much later, you know, like, but, um, occasionally there'd be someone that I knew with a television and I would be at their place and, oh yeah, Twin Peaks. And it's like, wow, this looks fucking incredible, man. But I didn't really catch up to it until probably like 1999, maybe, or 2000. And that's right. when it started really, you know, I loved all of his films. Like I seen his films in the theater whenever they came out, but, uh, I got into Twin Peaks like late. And but I got obsessed with it, you know, because it's one of those things you get obsessed with. And uh, it's my favorite episode one. I'm sorry, episode two, season one. Where mm -hmm. We have, um, you know, the guy in the dream. You know, we go into the the the, the, the black lodge, I guess, you know, with the right. weird tiled floor. Dale Cooper has his dream, you know, so good to end the little guy's dancing. You know, there's like that monologue about, you know, fire walk with me and the guy with one arm and all that kind of stuff. So good, man. It is, man. Like, um, even like before the actual show starts, you know, the theme song, um, which that theme song uh, inspired me. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. to start doing like keyboard stuff because, you know, I've always been a guitar player. I've always done metal and stuff. But uh, what was it? A couple of years ago now, like I started fucking around with like synths and stuff like that. And, um. The theme song by the great, um, let me pull up his name before I can get it right here. The theme song by the great uh, Angelo Badalamenti. And hopefully I didn't butcher it too bad there. But um, that that song there and like uh, and Laura's song too, like really got me into like wanting to mess around with synth stuff and keyboard stuff. And, you know, uh, and now I'm going to hopefully have an album out this year, you know, just small like Bandcamp shit, but probably just digital. But this was a huge inspiration for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I know you and I have discussed uh, synth before. That's that's awesome, man. When uh, one few several years ago on tour, <clears throat> we actually uh, visited the uh, some of the sites there in Washington that were used in uh, in Twin Peaks, like the waterfall. Mm -hmm. We went there, took a bunch of pictures, and then we also went to the the diner. We, you know, that that's like a well known location. And I got like a bunch of, I <laughs> dude, I spent like I don't know, like a hundred bucks on like swag when I went there because I got t shirts and mugs and all that kind of stuff that you can imagine. You know, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's it. took pictures in front of it, like all that, you know, all that fun stuff. That's killer, man. Yeah. Hopefully one day I can make it out that way that, you know, get to see some of this stuff like, uh, you know, cause Twin Peaks is, it made a big impression on me. And like, even now, like I was saying with the sense stuff and just going back and rewatching episodes now, this takes me back, you know, it takes me back to the nineties, which I'm not saying the nineties were great. There's a lot of shit going on, but 
it was less apocalyptic than the times we live now, you know? Dude, I think <laughs> so, the 90s were great, man. I, I, I wish it was still the 90s, to be honest, man. It's like, there's a lot of cool music, like death metal just started. There was some great black metal coming out. There was no, we, we weren't trying to kill each other as much, except, I mean, you know, Timothy McVeigh, you know, blew up that building, but... That was like an unusual thing. That wasn't like a mainstream stuff. Like right. Kind of thought, you know what I mean? Now we get that shit like every week and it's fucking horrible. It's yeah. like, you know, totally. like transform me back to the 90s. So, you know, the, watching Twin Peaks, uh, then watching X-Files and finishing off like some Seinfeld or something, man. It's like the per- perfect like uh, time machine to take me back to the 90s, even if it's for like a couple hours or so. You know, I, I forget all this shit that we're going through right now. Yeah, totally, bro. <laughs> totally. Ah, yeah. But yeah, Twin Peaks is, yeah, I have nothing bad to say about it whatsoever. It's just one of the best shows ever made. What what are your thoughts about the the last season that came out a couple of years ago? It's interesting. I've only uh, went through it once, but uh, I want to revisit and stuff. It doesn't have the same feeling as the you know, original first two seasons. It doesn't have that. It's still kind of dreamy, but it doesn't have like that dark and dream quality like the first two, you know, just... It don't do as much as the original did it for me. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I've only went through it once, uh, but I have rewatched certain episodes, but I think it's time to, to do a whole, maybe maybe this winter, because it, it seems like that's like a snowy Saturday thing to do, is like watch the entire you know show from the beginning to the end. You know, and I, I think the way it wrapped up was kind of perfect, really. You know, like you don't, what do you expect from David Lynch? He's not going to wrap things up night nicely. No. And, okay, here here it is. The story, everyone, you know, lives happily ever after, blah, 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 this and that. It's going to be some off-kilter, completely random, not, not random, but this completely obscure, like, thing, which you're going to have to think about. That's exactly how you wrap up a, something like that. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's David Lynch for you, man. He kind of challenges you. He doesn't just throw it all out there for you, you know? I kind of dug the uh, musical endings, like the special music guests that they had at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, no, no. I got turned on to certain bands, like the Chromatics. Like, I'd only heard about them, and then, you know, they were on the first, the end of the first episode. They had that song, Shadow. And, uh-huh. like, I, I'd been aware of them, but I'd never really dug into their music until I saw them on Twin Peaks and then I became like a bigger fan. That's killer. Yeah. Like I said, the music and stuff from Twin Peaks, like finding like the different bands and stuff, like so, so much good shit that, you know, goes along with Twin Peaks, a lot of positive things. So my number two is Mulholland Drive, which uh, we nice. already talked about. And, you know, that's, I think it's a masterpiece. Um, you know, just, it's though it that that is that was almost my number one actually, you know. But there's certain things about the movie that I picked that just kind of put it over the top, and uh, so it was a it was really a you know a toss up between my number one and my number two. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure me and you had the same number one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, through the process of elimination, I think you're right actually. So yeah, yeah. so let's 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 uh, let's unveil it. All right, number one, my all-time favorite David Lynch film is 1997's Lost Highway. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we did not we did not plan this, <laughs> but that's how it turned out. That's awesome. It is the most horror film out of all of David Lynch's work. You know, the most horror out of all the stuff he's ever done. This is a god. It's, it's so 
it's so good. It's so dark and fucking trippy as hell, you know. I think it's the epitome of David Lynch's work, you know. It's it's the top of the mountain for me. It's like everything that's good about David Lynch is all right here in this one film, you know. Yeah, it's um my my New York family out here is not going to uh like what I say, but I've always had this love affair with Los Angeles, man. And uh you know, I that's why I guess Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway are like rate high with me because it, you know, being being an East Coast person, whenever whenever I'm in LA, I always like romanticize the whole thing, you know, because it's a lot to romanticize about that city, old Hollywood, uh, you know, the 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 Sunset Strip, you know, like you know novels like crime novels, mm-hmm. you know, like James Elroy, you know, the the Black Dahlia murders, like that kind of stuff, like. And and this film really has like that magical vibe connected to extreme horror and depression and darkness, you know, and it's like such such like a perfect marriage of those two emotions, you know. And both of these films have like some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. You know, you got Naomi oh, Watts, yeah. you know, you got Patricia Arquette, you got uh you know, Laura Herring. And what's interesting about those two films like Lynch likes to play around with like the dark haired woman and the, and the blonde, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Patricia Arquette is both. Yeah. And, and it also ties back to people changing identities and traveling into different dimensions and all this kinds of stuff, man. Dude. Yeah. I love the like uh, different dimension type shit. Like uh first half of the films, like, you know, you got certain people playing these people here, you know what's going on. Then the second half of the film, it kind of flips into like another film almost, you know, with like the, the, the body changing stuff that goes on in jail and stuff. Uh, it's fucking wild. You know, once again, you got a great cast. You got, I think, I think this is like Balthazar Getty's like finest work in this, in this movie. And, um, you know, we got him, we got Patricia Arquette, we got, you know, uh, Bill Pullman, who's yeah. like, incredible. We have uh, Robert Blake, you know, yeah. controversial That's Robert right. Blake. Right, yeah, yeah, very controversial. <laughs> <laughs> we got Robert Loggia, <clears throat> and um, he's great, you know, playing him, playing like the character you expect him to play, this like wise guy, you know, Italian mafia dude, you know, tough guy sort of character. <clears throat> and the Lost Highway soundtrack, man, is is fucking incredible man like it's got so oh, much dude. great music in this movie yeah i love the soundtrack man um a romstein song that's on there oh so fucking good that's great driving music too i mean yeah, <laughs> and totally the, scene, the scene in the film too where she's uh it's I, I think it's towards the end it's like one of the murders took place or whatever and he got romstein blasters like flames and shit i'm like oh this is so fucking badass <laughs> yeah totally man and um you know even um marilyn manson is the song in there is pretty cool. You know, I put a spell on you, which is obviously a cover, but, uh, you know, I'm not a, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of his music necessarily, but there are things about Marilyn Manson that were, were kind of cool back in the nineties, like musically, yeah. you know, for sure. And this is one of those things that this cover, which is in the movie. And, uh, speaking of covers, my all time favorite scene in, pretty much any of David Lynch's films is the scene where Balthazar Getty's character sees the blonde Patricia Arquette character for the first time in the garage with the Lou Reed cover of this magic moment by the drifters. It's like in slow motion and like, there's no dialogue. 
and it's all done in, with these impressions, like these facial expressions. And, you know, just that, that whole scene is like one of my favorite David Lynch and David Lynch scenes out of all of his movies, you know? And it's like, so, such a beautiful scene, man. It, it is. I think um, if I had to choose like a favorite scene from this movie, it would be the uh, scene in the first half with uh, Bill Pullman uh, walking towards the closet. Like you think there's something in that closet. It's like the closet's super, super dark. You can't see shit inside that closet. And he like slowly gets closer to the closet and like the black engulfs him and stuff, man. It's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. Oh, totally, <laughs> you know? man. You know, yeah. that, that character, the Bill Pullman character and, you know, that version of Patricia Arquette's character, like they live in LA, which is like, it, you know, never you know, it's sunny all the time. Their apartment is like dark. There's no light, you know, it's like they're no. wearing black all the time and everything's black inside the apartment. It's like such a weird uh, dichotomy, you know, between like, I guess when you think of Los Angeles, you just think of like sunlight and, you know, people walking around with, you know, shorts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally like the opposite of what you would think you know, for that side of the country. But yeah, um, that and also uh, Robert Blake, as they call it, the mystery man is what he's labeled as there. Yeah, and with that camera, fuck, fucking, I'm gonna stay in your nightmares, dude. <laughs> he's got some of the best dialogue in the film too. You know, he's like, "It's not my custom to go where I'm not invited." It's like, <laughs> you know, it's once again the dialogue always great in Lynch's films, right? And I, you know, another thing, him never really explaining everything. Like, you know, it's what Dave Lynch usually does, and that works perfectly for this film. Because, like, I don't know who the mystery man is, but I have my own thoughts on what that might be or whatever. So, and he doesn't never explain like who the hell this guy is. Like, why is he recording everything and stuff? It like leads up to your own fucking self to figure it out. What What are your thoughts on that? Like, who do you think he is? <laughs> I I really don't know. I think he's some type of like uh, maybe interdimensional like a uh, record keeper or something like that possibly or he could be maybe a demon i would hope he would be like a demon type thing <laughs> but yeah. you know it's not yeah yeah i just know he's creepy as fuck <laughs> oh, yeah dude totally yeah, great great movie and you know bill oh, yeah. pullman never really disappoints me man whenever that dude shows up in a movie I'm, i get excited i get stoked yeah, he's a great actor. Um, I was I recently watched or rewatched uh, *Serpent and the Rainbow* again. God damn, the movie's good. Yeah, yeah, man. I've been meaning to rewatch that one as well. You know, I, I think it's up on Shutter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, it is for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, man. So that's our uh, that's our list, man. It's 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 cool that we both picked *Lost Highway*, and uh, you know, this this list might change. You know, next year if you ask me, um, what my top you know, five or six films are, I might have Mulholland Drive as number one and Lost Highway as number two, but those mm -hmm. two are definitely my two favorites for sure. Yeah, I mean, those are solid choices, I think. I think between both of our lists, like uh, the listeners have some, uh, if they haven't, you know, seen these films or whatever, they got some really cool homework to get down on, you know? And if you're someone who hasn't seen any of these movies, dive in, man. You know, this is like... Uh, you know where where you should you should check uh, check out this list and and dive in. You know, and the cool thing is there's nothing else like David Lynch films like all this new shit that's out nowadays. There's a lot of cool stuff, right? But uh, there's no there's no other person doing what David Lynch does. These are gonna blow your mind and like yeah, you're not gonna find another David Lynch type film out there right now. So, and there is a lot of great stuff, man. And and uh, I finished 
watching um, the Essex Serpent. That's a film. That's a series that you recommended to me. And um, no, I think you recommended that one to me. Oh, actually. I did. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, who who the hell told me about it then? Or maybe I found out about it on my own. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, really cool. But I felt like they pulled the old switcheroo on me with that one. You know, mm. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was built up as being this kind of weird tale. You know, like like they make you, they show you, you know, in the in the introductory part where they have all the credits, the credit sequence. Right. You see these tentacles and all this, and there's it takes place on the water front, you know, in in the in the UK. You're thinking about sea monsters and like some supernatural you know, weird tale-esque Lovecraftian thing. And it turns out to be that it's just really a gothic love story and there's a whale. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've only made it one episode in. Oh, man, I, I'm sorry. I wasn't really that. feeling it after the first... No, I wasn't feeling it after the first episode. Okay. And I went back to something else. So I never went back to that. So I guess it's kind of a good thing. Well, because you know, I was hoping there's going to be a sea monster in that thing. Yeah, you know? man. Well, you know, just, uh, just as a word of warning, they they kind of trick you a little bit, you know. I mean, it's mm. a, it was great. I enjoyed it, but it, I didn't have my um, my gothic uh, romance hat on. I had my weird tales hat. So just keep keep that. Be advised, I guess. You know. I think uh, the best thing on Apple right now, like we already talked about this before, I think earlier on this episode, but we probably chatted about it was uh, Severance. Yes, one thousand. God. Man, that's like one of the best shows I've seen in like past couple of years, I think. So, yeah, there's so many literary points to that that come to mind. Like I think about J.G. Ballard, I think about um, Thomas Ligotti, I think about all this stuff. Like when when um, when I was watching that, you know, and and it's it's fantastic, man. And I, I think it got a lot of accolades for the first season, you know. Oh, it did. Like uh, having Christopher Walken in there was just like the, the, the best, man. I love seeing anything with Christopher Walken in there. Oh, yeah. John Turturro, too. The two of them together. Mm-hmm. How They had a lot of scenes together, and they were great. Yeah, they killed it. Their chemistry was fucking great, dude. Like, man, that's like a super group. <laughs> totally, man. So thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. And um, just uh, let everyone else know out there, if they don't already listen to your show, where they can find you on the Internet. You know, all your social handles, like all that kind of stuff. All right. Um, yeah, if you don't haven't checked on my show yet, I run the Hardwolf 666 podcast, which you can find on any uh, streaming platform, uh, Spotify, Apple, um, freaking uh, BuzzFeed, not BuzzFeed, uh, Buzzsprout. And that's where if you go to that link on Buzzsprout, it kind of takes you to all my different links. But I'm on all podcast platforms, uh, Twitter's. Harwolf666, uh, Instagram Harwolf666, or Brandon Legion, either one of those two. And then on Facebook, I have a, a Facebook page for it, Harwolf666. And also on top of that, I do run a website, which I write reviews and stuff on. And I, I was doing some uh, written interviews. That is uh, Harwolf666.com. So you can check that out. I got some uh, pretty interesting films on there I reviewed and stuff, a lot of independent stuff, some like... Uh, higher grade stuff but uh yeah check those out awesome one of my dreams is to have all of us do an episode together somewhere like as an event you know what i mean like, even if it's at like a some small bar somewhere like wherever like in new york or just have everyone me you jackie you know mike jeff just like do talk about some topics and just go 
and then have that appear on all of our shows. That would be badass. I'm totally down for that. Yeah, so hopefully that the happen. apocalypse doesn't come. Yeah. We'll figure that yeah. out some, somehow, you know. Yeah, I'm totally down. Yeah. All right, man. Well, enjoy your weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, take it easy. This magic moment So different and so new Was like any other Until I met you And then it happened It took me by surprise I knew that you felt it too See it by the look in your eyes Sweeter than wine Softer than a summer's night Everything I want to have Whenever I hold you tight This magic moment While your lips are close to mine Will last forever Forever till the end of time So why won't you dance with me? Hey, why won't you dance with me? This magic moment So different and so new Was like any other Until I met you And then it happened You know it took me by surprise I knew that you felt it too By the look in your eyes Sweeter than wine Ooh, softer than a summer's night Everything I want, I have Whenever I hold you tight This magic moment Save the last day.